You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Well, one guy that probably could have something to do with that joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He is on his way to the All-Star Game, on his way to the plane. Tyrese Halliburton, my first question for you, you got to be completely honest with us here. Uh, is this a private flight or do you have to go and like make sure that you put everything in the little thing and go through security and do everything else? <laughs> Uh, this is a private flight. This is a private flight. The NBA takes care of you, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I'm on my way to, to to a private airport. So, made sure my bag was packed to the brim and don't care about weight. <laughs> now, yeah. Tyrese, if you don't mind, we appreciate some honesty here. You know, Buddy, he kind of struggled shooting it Monday. You know, first half last night, he was quiet. And then he gets hot in the third quarter. Was there any part of you that thought, man, I don't know if I want Buddy getting hot leading into the three-point contest coming up here? Nah, 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 I could care less. If we win last night, I could care less about three-way contest. So, uh, good to see him. Good to see him get it going. Been struggling as of late. So, you know how it is. The shooters, it's all about just seeing it go through. So, glad he got to see it go through. And a deserved winning feeling for the Pacers heading into the All-Star break. Tyrese Halliburton joining us here on his way to Salt Lake. How does it happen that you get into the three-point contest? Like, did the NBA contact you? Did you express interest in it? I'm kind of curious. No, the NBA contacts you. So we were in uh, New York, and some people from the league office were there and uh, approached me about it. And I was just like, hey, guys, appreciate the invite. Uh, I'll only be going if I make the game. Otherwise, I will not be going to Utah. Uh, So uh, after I made the game, I called them and said I was in, and they were like, oh, we put you in the three-point contest already. You don't have to tell us. So, yeah, that's how it happened. Tyrese, when I watched the games – I watch it, and in particular, once you came back from the injury, it seems like there is a little bit more, and I mean this in a good way, your your vision seems to have increased, like your flair in terms of finding guys. Like there are a couple of plays I, I was like, you look like Curly Neal in terms of like late last-second passes, finding guys cutting open, etc. How much of that is just you truly feeling like a comfort level now being you know here and then how much of that is also the importance of you guys seemingly being a very tight-knit group that understand each other on the floor i think um me finding guys is just a product of who i am as a person and uh, you know you know the way i play the game of basketball uh but i think guys getting in the right spots uh you know, I think guys knowing when the ball's coming, knowing when to cut, knowing how to run and transition if they're cutting through or if they're spacing for three, I think that comes from being so close and spending so much time together and uh, just constant conversation. So I think it's a little bit of both, but uh, at the end of the day, you can't get an assist with all your teammates. So uh, those guys make me look better than I am more, more times than not. It's interesting because here you are, you guys are 26 and 34. You got out to a great start, then you hit a skid. We were kind of set the anticipation, Tyrese Halliburton, at the beginning of the year that this was going to continue to be a process. But yet, pretty good crowds, energy's there. And I hate to say that it's an exciting 34 losses, but as a from a playing standpoint, do you feel, which way do you feel it? Do you feel like you're kind of stuck in quicksand or do you feel like you're a part of something? No, I feel like I'm definitely a part of something. Um, you know, I, I think it's, Obviously, we're looking at it from, uh, you know, a long-term perspective. We understand that uh, we're a young, young group and that there's time to grow. 
Um, but at the same time, me as a competitor, and I think our whole organization as competitors, we want to win now. And so getting out to that hot start uh, all the way up until really my injury, uh, we were feeling good. We liked where we were. felt like, you know, every night we were going into a battle that we believe, you know, believe we could win the game. Um you know, it just felt good for, for a while there. And then I got hurt. We've been on this little skid, uh, came back. We still continued on the skid a little bit. So um, I think for us, it's just about getting back to the way we were playing basketball. Uh, you know, and uh, I think this break is much needed for everybody. Get your mind right. Get your body right. Uh, we go in these last 22 games of the season the right way mentally um, and physically and uh, just be ready to, you know, hopefully get on a run here the same way we did in, in December and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, compete for the playoffs. It's the first All-Star game coming up on Sunday in Salt Lake. He'll do the three-point contest alongside Buddy Heald Saturday night. He is Tyrese Halliburton. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Tyrese, it's been, I guess, about a full year now since you've been here in Indy. And, you know, you were, you know, I think, very candid about how shocked and, and, you know, oh, wow, this is what the NBA can be about when you were traded here last year. A year now playing back in the Midwest. What has that meant to you? Oh, it's been awesome. It's been beautiful. Uh, whirlwind of a year. Uh, but I really immersed myself in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, I purchased a house. My mom has moved out here. My whole family lives out here with me. Uh, so it, it just feels good to be here uh, close enough to home. It's like a five-hour drive from home. So my friends and family visit me all the time. And uh, just good to be here. Uh, always came here growing up, whether it was AU tournaments, family reunions, whatever the case was. So uh, just excited to be here, and you know things have been obviously been, have, have been going well so far. Yeah, I was saying to Jake earlier, I think it's really cool to see your family front row pretty much every game. What has that meant to you? The fact that they can be there so often, and you know it looks like from a Wisconsin, you know Iowa standpoint, obviously uh, there's an opportunity here to be here for a long, long time. Yeah, no, it means the world to me. It means the world to me. Obviously, me and my family are very close. You know, you see that by. You know, my, my parents being at all the games, my girlfriend being at the games. I always have, you know, a friend or, you know, a fa- another family member at the games. Uh, it's important to me that they're there, they're close to me. I think uh, my mom my mom is retired now, so, you know, being a basketball fan is really her full-time job at this point. So, you know, she loves to sit front row, loves to be close to the action. She doesn't say much, but she just loves to be there uh the same way with my girlfriend and uh, my dad as well. So it means the world that they're able to come and see me play. And, uh, you know, I think the the city of Indianapolis, the state of Indiana, has really uh, embraced my family as well. Um, I, you see my dad get stopped in the stands for pictures all the time or whatever the case may be. People might want to take, uh, you might want to talk to him. Um, so the, the reception from, you know, Pacers fans have been amazing for me and my family. You know, I, I was fortunate to do the Thanksgiving event that you had um, back in late November, of course. And while your mom might be quiet, I think I heard your dad from across the room on you know several <laughs> several occasions. So I, I'm sure if your mom isn't yelling maybe at the officials during the game, I think your dad will certainly do enough of that. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a definitely a yin and yang. That's why it works so well. Hey, Tyrese, I, I think you know. And by the way, if you've got to run to the plane, let us know here. But um, People in Indiana, you know, we've we have experienced guys that have grown into stars before our very eyes. You're on your way to the All Star game. You're a young guy. You've been uh, this jolt of energy to the franchise. But there is also in Indianapolis this hesitation of people waiting for the reality of guys then to capitalize on that marketability and feel like they've outgrown Indianapolis. Are you aware of that 
paranoia that the fan base has, and what would you say to people about it? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I'm almost forced to be aware for sure. Uh, but I, I think for me, it's not about that. I, I think there's been people who have came here from different places, and um, you know, and, and I think there's been different circumstances and things that have happened behind the scenes that people don't always know about. Certain people, uh, you know, I know Paul still gets booed when he comes here, and hopefully that stops eventually here. But uh, you know, for me, I'm a Midwest kid through and through. It's in my blood. You know, I, I'm not really this big city dude. I, I just this is this is how I've grown up my whole life in cities. Uh, Indianapolis is honestly bigger than cities I've grown up in my life. So, uh, you know, that's it's not about that for me. It's just about winning basketball games and um, you know being treated the right way. And you know, the Pacers are a first class organization who have done that, and the fans have been so awesome for us in a in a year that's been you know coming into the year by a lot of people considered a rebuild. Our fans have showed out every night, showed up to the games, showed love, showed support, um, and I think that means the world to us as young guys because uh, we know when it really gets when we really get things cracking that uh, you know that that our fan base will really be crazy. Who's your best friend on the team? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I think it's easy to say Buddy because we've been together for three years. We got traded together. Uh, we've grown really close, but I, I also could probably say James Johnson. Um, and O'Shea Brissett. I spent a lot of time with O'Shea, and James has kind of been like a big brother for me, um, you know, in terms of approaching the games the right way. He's been around, you know, greats. He's been around, he's around to Derrick Rose, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, James Harden. He's seen it up close and, and personal, so he always holds me to a higher standard than everybody else, and uh, you know, you need that in your life sometimes. Now, do you and Buddy have a little side bet coming up for Saturday night? Nah, everybody wants to. Our teammates have, have made us we, they're making us try to come up with something, whether it's we got to do something in front of the team or something. But for me, honestly, and for both of us, uh, I think just having the satisfaction of of, of winning and and being able to uh, you know to, to to talk 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 to one another for the remainder of time until we're able to compete again. I, I think that uh, that means more to us than anything. Tyrese, before we let you go, I got to ask you this: I'm at the game the other night. You're playing the Jazz. I'm assuming that you're pretty tight with Taylor Horton Tucker because you guys were college teammates, right? Yep. Is he like 35 years old? Like, is his nickname Pops? I think he like, played for the Colts. Yeah, I was watching him and I thought to myself, that guy looks like he's at the rec league. You know, the funniest thing about Taylor is he's actually like super young. Like, when we went to school, I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive when we went to school he was 17 years old. Yeah, he was 17. He didn't turn 18 until... November of our freshman year. So, like, I was already 18. I had turned 18 in February. He's been, he's, he's almost a year younger than me, uh, which is the funny part. <laughs> yeah, I tell that all the time, bro. I don't care what you say. You look third. <laughs> no doubt. I'm like, third and one. I mean, give, him, give him the ball up the middle. I'm like, hey, right this there. guy clearly can shoot because, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say he's necessarily going to, like, sleek anybody, but hey, he's in the league, right? He's a good player. Yeah, um, yeah great player. Okay, lastly, just tell us this, Tyrese. What are you most looking forward to for the All-Star Weekend? I mean, it's a huge honor and congratulations, and I know fans are excited about it, but for players – for you guys, what is it about the weekend that is the most exciting to you? And is there any concern of not being able to take advantage of downtime? Uh, no, I don't really have any concern about that. Uh, you know, I think that they put together my schedule. I'm allowed to 
revise my schedule in terms of uh, events or things that I want to do or don't want to do. So they give me that freedom, and, and I think I think it's my first All-Star, so we'll see how it goes, and I'm, not, I'm really looking forward to it. And I think the thing that I'm probably look, you know, the most looking forward to for me is uh, at the end of the day, it's still surreal to me that I'm even in the NBA in general. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like last year when we, pl- I was in the rising stars game, I ran into Shaq in the back and he was like, young fella, I love what you're doing, whatever, whatever. And I was like, I appreciate it. And then when I walked away, I was like, hold on, that was Shaquille O'Neal. You know what I mean? Like that's the, it still hits me like that. Like if you guys ever seen like, like Mike, like, Little Bow Wow, Calvin Cambridge is still like <laughs> in shock all the time when he sees everybody. That's me on the inside. I just can't show it all the time. So, like, for me to get there and, uh, you know, be there and just be where my feet are, I'm really excited for that. Don't uh, lose you know, that. The entire city uh, right now is listening to you here. Oh, that, yeah. And, and they're saying, ear to ear. Don't lose that. Lose, keep that exact drive forever, right? Yeah, yeah. That will, that, I don't think that, I think it's hard for that to ever fade away. It's always like that on the inside. On the outside, I don't always show that, but. Uh, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to to being there. I, I think uh, you know Reggie texted me the other day uh, some encouraging words about just you know embracing where you are and soaking it all in. He still remembers his first All Star and how exciting it is. So uh, that's my goal, just to be there and just be where my feet are. Be excited about it. Is there last last one? Is there anyone that you are looking forward to you know possibly meet, whether it's Shaq or I don't know from a celebrity standpoint? Uh, not anybody in specific. Um, I mean, all the NBA guys I played against, so that's sure. not really a thing for me anymore. But uh, I haven't, I have yet to meet Reggie in person. So looking forward to that, um, and just some of the other greats that are going to be there. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to try to slide to the celebrity game. So we'll see who I can meet there. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm just a fan of everybody, just like just like anybody else. So I'm just really excited to, to be there. Well, Tyrese, we certainly wish you the best. I appreciate the time this morning. Uh, have a good flight, kick the feet up, and enjoy the weekend and soak it all in, all right? Yes, sir. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, Thanks Tyrese. Jake, I kid you not, um, I texted Rick Venturi earlier today. We chatted a few days ago on the phone. Very gracious to come on with us. And he goes, yeah, just send me a reminder on Thursday morning when you wake up. Um, what time do you think Rick Venturi woke up this morning? 5 a.m., probably listening to CCR, at- which was an appropriate bump in i'm guessing at 401 on this thursday morning rick venturi rose to start his day coach are you are you alarm at 401 a.m or is this natural body clock oh absolutely not i've always had to work kind of the work schedule of a farmer to be honest with you i've always done my best work early in the morning now i'm not up very late at night i gotta admit that one but uh i get up every morning and i like to get my four hours of work in before uh miss sherry gets up and so basically i my my first three hours is normally spent on the you know the football issue today today it's uh this week you know obviously i'm beginning to really start to pound the draft and look at tape there and then the last hour is to check the NBA box scores, Major League box scores, and look at the, the horse racing for Saturday because Miss Sherry and I both are big horse race fans. Matter of fact, I hit two uh, at Tampa Down Saturday in, in the Sam Davis, which is a big derby prep. Uh, I won that with uh, my guy, Louis Saez, and then uh, I hit on the, um, what do they call it, the Sun Coaster, which is a prep for the Oaks. Uh, 
Uh, I hit a thirty-eight to one with my jockey Sammy Camacho. So it's three, now, it's three hours, three hours of work and one hour of fun, and then uh, and then I make the coffee, Miss Sherry, and we we go on with the day. Now, now, Rick, I, I think most people know because I mentioned it before that your son Jason and I, you know, he's one of my guys, right? Uh, I'm going to have to let Absolutely. him know not to count on. Uh, I'm going to send him a text not to count on as much inheritance as he had originally thought. Right? <laughs> I heard winners in that, that though. Listen, you guys, listen you guys and and kevin you have to know this i i'm probably the only guy that knew bill belichick nick saban and jay query before they became icons. <laughs> oh gosh well thanks this ego is as wide as 465 right. right now hey um i get here so here's the question did the indianapolis colts now find themselves the guy that we're going to be able to save 10 years from now the colts discovered him before he was exactly that we know what do you see in terms of this hire of shane steich and your thoughts on the direction now the franchise heads yeah, that's that's a good question. I, you know, ten years from now, you know whether or not that uh, Shane Steichen makes a great head coach. You know that that's a bit of a crapshoot. You know, we're in an era now where there are no known commodities. The only known commodities, proven winner head coach, was you know with Sean Payton, and you know we have way too many holes uh, to give away that much draft capital. Um, you know, to get into that market, so. Uh, you go to the next step. The next step is, you know, top flight assistance, uh, top flight assistance, which you don't know whether any of them are going to be great or not. You hope you get Zach Taylor and not Hackett. I mean, really, it comes down to that. In my case, I'm very happy with the hire, and I'm very higher with the venting process. I don't think you can vent enough, and particularly when you're not in direct competition with another team. I, you know, I think the fact that the Eagles went all the way helped us because – he, he was going to be available just like Callahan, Kafka, not quite as long. Raheem was always there. That was my, my top four. Steichen was always number one. And, you know, you, you always, when you interview here, obviously you're looking for leadership, organization, uh, you know, um, the skill sets, uh, presence, the skill sets that make a head coach. But in my case, you know, I think this is a little bit different times in 223. I think in a way it's a little bit like the draft, uh, Jacob. It's, you know, if you have equal, if you have equal guys, let's say that you like Raheem as well as you like Steichen in interviews. But in this case, I think what was really important is that we have to fill some needs. It's like taking the need player when they're equal. And basically, there was a hat trick that I was looking for. Number one, an offensive designer. Uh, number two, uh, you know, a guy that was a play caller legitimately, and number three, a guy that was a quarterback whisperer. And so in that case, even though there were good candidates, um, the only guy that's really proven there, and he's proven to be a quarterback whisperer with different types of quarterbacks, was Steichen. So, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with that. I, I like the press conference. I don't, I don't need a comedian. I don't need a guy that talks about his faith. <clears throat> I want a hard-nosed football guy that is forceful, that is a top X and O guy, that when he starts talking about football, it's all football. And, you know, I really like that. I don't know him personally, but I know his body of work because I – I watch tape to determine <laughs> what I think. But I, like I said, I really like the hire. I do believe that this in 223 is the best possible uh, outcome of the search. Uh, you know, whether or not 
uh, he becomes a great head coach, you know, we will find out. I mean, we'll, we'll see that. Nobody can predict that at this moment. Again, Rick Venturi is with us, 4.01 a.m. No need for the alarm for Coach Venturi. I think he might be off to the Gruden compound a little bit later today. We will chat 2023 quarterbacks, his early thoughts there, and a few other things with the coach this morning. Um, I want to flip sides of the ball. Um, Obviously, Shane Steichen and that hire speaks for itself offensively. The retention of Gus Bradley, Rick, I think a lot of people just assume it's a foregone conclusion. You and I have had conversations, though, and, and you know, think that, you know, at times I think people just got too content with the defense last year because the offense was so horrid. Yeah, there's no question about it, and there's certainly a natural um, tie-in with Steichen and uh, Gus's staff. They all work together at San Diego, so the, the familiarity is there. Uh, as I said with John yesterday, if, if he doesn't retain him, it'll really be a message that's sent. I, I assume that he will retain that guy, and I certainly hope he holds Bubba. Bubba's a star. You, you can't let Bubba out of the building. Uh, but I do think, you know, and, and I think you're making a good point, I think our defense, and, and I like Gus Bradley. I, I'd like to keep Gus Bradley, but I would like to keep him qualified with some mandates. I think that our defense got a real pass because the offense was so putrid. I mean, I could, I don't even want to go any the, the offensive stats because all you had to do was watch it with your eyes. But defensively, there were several games, I think seven or more, that one defensive stop, as bad as the offensive was, one defensive stop would have made the difference, would have won the game, and we never got that in the fourth quarter. And when you look at some of the stats that I look at, because I know the difference in what stats really matter to playoff and not, when you start looking at them, at the end of the day, it's 28th in points given up, 32nd in the red zone, uh, opponent's quarterback rating, number 30, 96-3, opponent's pass percentage, number 31, 70%, and then the worst stat of all, which was the killer, is fourth quarter defense number 31. And then you could add the fact that we went from number two in takeaways to number 20. So there's a hell of a lot of work to be done. And I would, I would, I would mandate some things. I would say, number one, there has to be much more diversity in front and in secondary coverage. I, I don't think simplicity wins in the National Football League. Uh, number two, I think there has to be much better rush plans for specific quarterbacks. I mean, you know, on a third down on the, in, the, in the low red zone, you know, to let Hurts run to Noblesville on a quarterback draw, that's is just intolerable to me. I think the blitz percentage has to be a uh, – we're one of the lowest teams, I think, at 14%. That has to really go up. You can't sit there against the modern-day quarterback. And then number four, I, I'd like to see him be a lot more game-specific. I just – one of my pet peeves is when a guy – comes in as a superstar, whether it's A.J. Brown or whatever, that's the guy you got to stop. And, and good coaches have to have that specific game plan that stops those guys. And I'd like this. I haven't seen that around here enough for a long time. I'd like to see that improve. So do I, do I like Gus Bradley? Yes. Uh, do I think Gus can evolve? Uh, I believe he can. Um, you know, if he doesn't, uh, I think no matter what we do on offense, we'll still struggle. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done, you know, top to bottom here, uh, Kevin. I really do. Rick Venturi is our guest on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Of course, 11 years in coaching with the Colts amongst his vast coaching career. And now 
You can hear him, of course, with Matt Taylor on the Colts radio network. Rick, I was curious about this. When you come in, if you're a new coach, and I realize maybe some guys like to immediately put their footprint on it. Some guys want to see where things lie. This is a a first-year coach. But in your experience from a coaching standpoint, which is the longer and more arduous process? Taking a roster and having those guys conform to the style you want to see or conforming your style to the rest to the roster that you are inheriting? Well, I think there's I, I think there's two nuanced uh, issues there. I, I think number one, you have to establish your way of life, your way of doing business. You know, you know, most of the time we will say that's accountability. Um, I think that's really important. There's been murmurs. I don't know. I wasn't inside the building every day. There's been murmurs of laxity and lack of accountability. Maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't. But you have to initially establish your way of life, you know, whether it's the Saban way of life, your way of life, Andy Reid's way of life, that atmosphere and you want to address that immediately. You want to establish that leadership program. But then number two, it's a different program. I think mentally, from a schematic standpoint, you do have to be flexible and you have to adapt to the personnel that you end up with. No matter how much roster change we think we can make, eventually we're going to be in a deck of cards, 52, and we're going to be dealt that hand and we have to be able to play that hand. And one of the reasons that, you know, I like Steichen with going back to my first premise was, yes, I think Philadelphia has done the very best job of adapting to modern day football. In other words, they have developed an NFL passing game and they have improved Hertz, but they have taken elements of the college game, the NCAA game, the zone reads, the sweeps, the quarterback uh, designers, uh, and they've added them, and they've successfully done it. It's not that easy, and they have really, to me, state-of-the-art offensive scheme for the modern-day kid. But at the same time, he's also been the quarterback coach with Herbert, who was Rookie of the Year, and more importantly, he was the quarterback coach with Rivers, who we know is old-school, classic, non-movement quarterback. So what I see there is from a, a, that standpoint, that question is that you. I think the great ones have great flexibility. You've seen it with Andy Reid over the years. You've seen it with people. Shula was the great example. Threw every down with uh, Dan Marino. Ran every down with Zonka. So I mean, you've got to have that mental flexibility, and that and that's why it's so important. You've got to have an X and O guy as your head coach. That it's a myth that you can have a CEO guy. It's a myth because. Even though you want an organizational guy, and maybe he doesn't call the plays, but that guy's got to be able to push the buttons X and O-wise on both sides of the ball, or else you're not going to make it. If Indianapolis has decided, Rick, and by all account, this is going to be the case, we don't know, but it appears as though they have finally decided that, yes, it is draft quarterback and and do away with veteran Band-Aid year-to-year process. So in the event that they are going to draft a quarterback, did that further necessitate them getting a head coach that is the the new style, as the Beastie Boys would say, as opposed to the old guard? 
I would say absolutely. It certainly was with me because, again, you need a total turnaround schematically, but you need a guy who can develop a young investment quarterback. There's no question about that. That was, you know, in, as I said, you know, in my, in my trio, in my three commandments, I wanted offensive design, play caller, and quarterback whisperer and developer. I think that you're absolutely right on that. Now, nobody's going to admit that. They'll say we didn't go in with an idea and all that. Well, that's okay. You, you can, you know, talk to my hand on that. But in the end, I think that's exactly right. And you're not sure. And you're absolutely right, uh, uh, Jake. And, and it hasn't necessarily, I don't think, necessarily been that they didn't want to get a young franchise quarterback. One of the problems that Ballard had along the way is after Andrew walked out, we were always just good enough to, and we probably overrated our roster to believe that we could get a patchwork guy get us through a year. And we, in a way, we did with Rivers. And then it blew up with Wentz, and it blew up with Ryan. But now for the third time, and you guys are historic there in Indianapolis, the, the third time, this is the third time we've been in the lottery since 99. And the first two worked out pretty well with the number one pick. And so I want to see us. This is Rick Venter. This is no one else. I'll, I'll give it my unfiltered is that we need to get to one. We need to do what we did when we moved up to get Jeff George. Whether that worked out or not is problematic. We need to be at that one pick. And I have my feelings about it, but you want to get the guy that you think is the best. You really don't want to settle for three or four. Not, and I think there's five guys on the board that are all very, very good. I'd have to probably take Hooker off because of the knee, but there's five guys that are very good. There's one guy, in my opinion, that stands above it but in that sense this is the first time we've been in the lottery and and we're very fortunate i mean we were lucky with luck because this was not a bad franchise who had the first pick this was a franchise that just had one bad season because of manning's injury and then ended up you know you talk about being lucky to have luck sitting there on that one bad season and now we're in the lottery again hopefully not for a long time so you have to make this pick do and if the, if it takes giving rid of draft capital, you've got to get this guy to to be the guy at the crossroads in this in this franchise. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You don't want to hope someone falls in your lap. You've got to go identify and grab that guy. Rick Venturi is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Coach. Let's focus on that 2023 quarterback class here for a second. And I know you're still yeah. kind of early in that evaluation. You've certainly watched film, the character element. You know, we'll, we'll obviously see how yeah. all of that plays out. But when you look at Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, Hendon Hooker, what do you see with this group? Yeah, I spent a whole day at, at, at with John Gruden and Gruden Enterprises in Tampa on uh, what's today Thursday on Tuesday, and we studied the top eight guys and really in detail, in tape to best plays, worst plays, you know, about as thorough as you could get. So I have at least a feeling in my mind, uh, and and the way I've always done it goes back to my recruiting days, really way back when in college, is that. You know, I am an analytics guy. I'm not a dinosaur. I'm not one of those guys that, you know, says, well, he could play or he can't play. No, I I study it all. I I look for all the metrics. All the metrics are important to me. The game tape is important. And then the vetting process is important. Now, that's one thing I don't do. The Colts certainly will because I would want to meet, you know, as long as it took with all four guys at the top 
And when I come out of there, I've got to make sure there's football intelligence, there's leadership qualities. I mean, when you look at the two guys in the Super Bowl and then throw Joe Burrows in there, my top three, I mean, you got guys with great football intelligence, great presence, great leadership skills, along with immense talent. And so that's really important, and that's going to divide people. Now, when I look at this year's crop, to me, there's one guy that is unique in terms of playmaking ability, the guy that goes beyond the playbook, one of the three pillars that Steichen brought up, accuracy, decision-making, the ability to create, the ability to study relentlessly. Well, the one guy I know that today is Bryce Young. Now, I can't make him bigger. And, you know, people can push back if you want to. That's fine. I'm just giving you my opinion. He is the game changer. He is the guy that can make spectacular plays. You know, we kind of refer to him down here as Little Mo in that there is only one Mahomes, but he makes, he has some of those traits. Unfortunately, Mahomes is 6'5", and he's 5'11". But that is what it is. I can't make it bigger, but I've got to make a choice. And so, to me, I trade to one to get Bryce Young. Because, and if let, let me say to you, Kevin, if you don't get to one with Houston sitting at two, somebody else is. So you're going to have to decide between three and four, which is a good kid, which is a very talented guy. But I would put Young as my top guy and then draw a line. Now, two, three, and four, it's a lot tougher than people think. I think the media consensus right now and all the draft mix that don't know a football from a basketball, they all consensus-wise, you know, basically they have Stroud as number two. In my world, in the football technical world, it is not that clear cut between Stroud, Levis, and Richardson, to be honest with you. Again, Hooker's the outlier now because of the knee. He would have been in the top five. You know, in Stroud, you have a guy that does do everything well. There's no question about it. He does everything well. I don't think he has the wow, and he's bigger. There's no doubt about that. You know, he, he like uh, Young, uh, you know, they've driven Mercedes. There's no question about it. they got Mercedes wheels and everything around them to be good. I don't think Young had nearly the talent this year than he has had, and I thought he did well with it. But Stroud does everything very, very well. He just doesn't give me the wow uh, the wow factor, what I call the electricity test. Electricity test is after I've done all the vitals, does he, does he turn me on or doesn't he? I like Stroud a lot. You're not going to be, I don't think, unhappy. Now when you get to Levis and Richardson, that's the tough choice because you have immense talent in both guys. When you look at Levis, and those guys did not drive Mercedes. They drove my, my, my 22 Escape. They didn't drive Mercedes is at Kentucky or Florida. Now, when you watch Levis, you, got, you look at a guy with a big skill set. You know, he's very much like Stroud. They're in the four sevens. They're not great athletes. Like, Young is a very good athlete. He's in the four fives as far as running metrically, okay? But uh, Levis, you can look at seven plays out of ten, and you will say, this guy can do it all. He can throw the dig. He can move. He can avoid he can throw the fade. He can do everything. And then there's three plays in the 10 that you will say a little bit like Carson once, like, why, how did he do that? What was he thinking? You know, there are the minuses that you have to somehow either get through or accept. And then 
you know, there is some quirkiness to his personality, which I don't think that's necessarily a, a you know, a game changer. But I also, you know, you know, I don't want to weirdo a quarterback either. Okay. Now, the the most I think problematic guy is Richardson. Richardson has immense talent. Uh, if you were sitting in a situation where you could wait a little bit, like the Packers did with Love, he might be the best prospect. But I don't know. I don't think we're in a position to wait, and we certainly don't have anybody we want to put in front of him. But this guy has better talent, skill set than all of them. I mean, he's probably a four or five. He's probably the fastest, no question about it. His arm is terrific. His release is terrific. But at the end of the day, he's only started 11 games, you know, and he's coming out. So, you know, he is going to have to be tremendously vetted. And I I just think off the cuff, I don't think he's going to be ready. But, you know, he might have the highest ceiling, no question about it. So, you know, you've got four very, very good kids. Um, You know, I think uh, with the exception of size, you've got one guy who is above them in playmaking ability, and I know what his pedigree is. I know what he comes from. Uh, I, I know what his leadership skills are. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at it right now. There's still a lot of work to be done, you know, between, be, you know, before late April. Rick, we were talking about this yesterday, so I want your opinion on this. It, which is a greater gap? Or, or which, let me rephrase that. <clears throat> which is the, 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 bigger, the bigger quantitative number? The, the drop between drafting first and drafting fourth in terms of the quality of quarterback you might get or the quality of pieces that you would have to give up to move from four to one? Is it worth the return on investment? Well, you know, I, you know again, I don't know exactly what the investment could be. Uh, I think we're an ideal trading partner with the Bears for several reasons. I think, first of all, the Bears only have to move back two spots you know, and and if they move back uh, two spots, they can still get a dynamic, game-changing defensive guy, uh, you know, like a Carter, uh, like an Anderson, uh, like uh, Murphy, your boy from Clemson. I mean, they're going to be able to move back at four to four and get a great defensive player, a great football player. There's left tackles available. I mean, guys that are game-changers. So, I mean, from their standpoint, they would rather trade with us than anybody. And then the other thing is, Eberflus knows our roster, so he knows it very well. So if there's a player involved, an active player involved with the draft choices, he's going to have a good handle on that. Whether or not it's worth the investment, the trade has to be in front of me. But I think there's going to have to be a commitment, and we can't just keep holding on to draft picks and keep, you know, keep having marginal to bad seasons, okay? Here's the deal, I think. Right now, we're at a a crossroads. Again, third time since 99 that we're in a lottery situation, which hopefully we won't be in again for another couple decades, okay? So to me, this is going to be the only time that you're going to be able to get that franchise starter. Now, you you know, it it may not be the guy I feel, but at any rate, it's got to be the guy you feel – and to me, this is the time to do it. And if there's a big-time investment involved, that's going to be the consequence, to be honest with you. Now, they're obviously going to hold us up, and there's going to be competition. But I just feel like this. If we don't get the one, 
somebody else is going to get to one, and then Houston sitting at two. So now you're looking at a different decision on three on on number four. Coach, we'll end with this, and again, thank you a ton for your time this morning. Um, free agency is about a month away. I mean, the Colts don't have a ton of, I think, stand-on-the-table guys, but they certainly have a handful of starters that could hit the open market. I'll throw a couple names at you. Yanni Kangakwe, Bobby Okereke, Paris Campbell. Thoughts on bringing any of those back? Well, I, I, I like Okereke the best. I, I think Okereke is the best for the money. Um, I think he's become a really outstanding linebacker. Uh, there's no question in my mind he's one of the best cover guys in the league. You know, he's a really good space player, a good, a really good tackler. You know, he and Franklin were not the reason that we struggled on defense. Trust me on that. They were not. I like him the best. Um, I like Campbell. Uh, I think there's some upside. I, I still don't see a great wow there. I, I you know, I, again, I think one of the biggest issues that we've had over the years, besides the quarterback carousel, is not putting the investments into explosive game changers on offense. And so far, I don't see it. And I, I think he potentially can, uh, but I, you know, I, I still haven't seen it totally. And then uh, with Ngakwe, I like him. I, I like him on my team. Uh, he's a great effort guy. Um, he will get you that eight to ten sacks, but they're, they're, I call them quiet sacks. I never feel like that he's taken over a game like a Riddick or you know or you know or, or Clark's or Ford's or or Graham. I never feel like that. You know, if I'm game planning, that I have to have a, a, an ambient guy, a guy that I have a, have to have a special plan for. So. I'd like to have him back. I think Gus and those guys like him. They've had him, but I would not play. I would not pay him like a dominant impact player. March fifth, Rick Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. I'll be down there. If you're still down there in Florida, hanging out, uh, would love to see you. But in the meantime, you're going to wake up at four oh one and head over to the compound. Now, I would with say that's Rick unlikely. Coach Gruden. On my way back to. Uh, Heading in for the night, I can stop by. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you this: Jake is one of the few people, maybe the only person in Indianapolis that has ever sat on that front porch on the Gulf of Mexico with me. That is right? correct. That is correct. That's that an is honor. Correct. And and the other thing I will awesome. tell you is he he and my son. If you can get the senior yearbook from North Central, <laughs> he and my son Jason inserted themselves in the honor society oh, photograph. Yeah. Now, both guys were tr- really good students and really achievers. Honor society, Kevin, I'm not sure, yeah. but mm-hmm. their picture is there. We, yeah, that we, was Jake doing his best George O'Leary impression. We combined I think, for that. a 4.0. <laughs> <laughs> 4 one a.m. That's what time Rick Venturi started his day today for insight like this. Coach, enjoy the time down there with Miss Sherry. Safe travels back here. All right, guys, you're my favorites. I- I- I'll talk to you later. Kevin, it's game day for our next guest, isn't it? It is game day tonight. It's on the South Side, University of Indianapolis. Couple home games tonight and Saturday. Head coach of the Greyhounds, Paul Casaro. Joins us now. We mentioned earlier, Jake, just great stories across the state this year on the hardwood and really no better than what Paul Casaro's Greyhounds have done. 16 in a row. They have not lost in, I think, the calendar year, certainly. 22-2 um, and two on the year, ranked number six in the nation. And again, Paul Casaro joins us now. Paul, did you think 
this was possible at the start of the year? Um, you know, I thought we had a really good group. And, you know, you always have high expectations when you have, you know, talent, talented student-athletes and a good staff, like I'm fortunate enough to have. But you never try to put a label on exactly what that is. You just take it one game at a time and try to get better every day. And it's it's been a lot of fun. So you have, as you know, you're on this streak. You haven't lost since December 3rd. You've beaten every Division II school on your roster. You got two left at home here tonight and then Saturday. Tonight's game, by the way, folks, uh, 7.30 down at Nickerson Hall. And then again on Saturday at 3 in the afternoon. Then you go to Missouri and you basically don't leave the Show Me State for a while because the GLVC tournament begins two weeks from today. So my question for you, Coach, is this. Deep down, even though your players don't know this, do you almost want to get tested one more time? Like going, and I don't mean in the tournament. I mean amongst your last four games here, because you guys are playing so well and have gotten so accustomed to winning, is there something to be said for kind of a reality check for your guys heading into the tournament? Which way do you look at that? Or do you think to yourself, this guy's a total moron? <laughs> Not at all, but... The, the main thing is, is I don't think we're going to have much of a choice. Our, our league is so tough. You know, what a lot of people don't realize is GLVC basketball is the equivalent to like you know Big Ten basketball or, or SEC football. Like it is the hardest Division Two conference in the country. So we're going to get tested. You know, there's no such thing as an easy night in our league. In fact, you know, we had to fight and claw just to get a couple wins on the road last week in Kansas City. And you know, Jury's going to be a tough one tonight. Southwest Baptist is going to be a tough one you know, on Saturday and, you know, we're back on the road next week. So, you know, by nature of just our league, we're going to be tested every time we step on the floor. Yeah, you guys have had a few single-digit games as of late. Senior day coming up on Saturday for the Greyhounds. What has been the difference, Coach, lately here and you know, playing those single-digit games but coming out victorious? Well, I think, you know, a couple things. You know, single-digit games, you know, we're, we're playing good basketball, but, you know, being number six in the country and, you know, 22-2 and two and 16-game win streak, all those things – you know, that we can't get caught up and focus on, you know, opponents notice that stuff. And, you know, we're going to get every team's best shot because of that. And teams are up to play against us. And that's good. You know, the fun thing is when we go on the road, you know, gyms are full and that's a fun atmosphere for our, our guys to play in. But teams want to try to knock us off. And, you know, I told our guys, you just got to know that you have a target on your back. You're going to get their best shot. But with that, um, you know, we've been in a lot of tight games and our, and our, our kids just are playing, uh, you know, I say kids, young men are playing with a lot of poise. And, you know, even when it gets close, they just have a calmness to them, you know, poised demeanor. And they seem, you know, very confident um, to the point where they, they know exactly what they need to do to close out games. And they've been doing a nice job stepping up down the stretch. Again, he's the Ron Colley legend, Paul Casaro, the head coach of the University of Indianapolis Greyhounds, won 16 in a row, ranked sixth in the nation. He joins us now on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Paul, when you look at, or I guess I should be a little bit more educated on this, you've got four to go until the conference tournament, and then the NCAA tournament follows. How does the NCAA tournament work for Division Two? Yeah, so um, there's 64 teams. You know, the the old Division One format was 64 teams. I know they've they, they, they've increased it to you know uh, now now 68 with the playing games, uh, but the, there's 64 teams in D2, but it's a little different in terms of that. It's regional, you know, so there's eight regions in Division Two, and the way they do that is each region takes the top eight teams in that region. You play your regional. The eight region winners go to a neutral site for the Elite Eight, Final Four, 
national championship, you know, all on all, on one weekend. So that's kind of how Division Two is. Hmm. And with us being in the toughest regional, it's tough. I remember when I played. You know, my senior year, we made the NCAA tournament uh, here at University of Indianapolis uh, when Stan Gerard was coach. First time that he made it when uh, he was the head coach, but. We had seven teams. So in the regional, in our region, there's three conferences that make up our Midwest region. Okay, so the GOVC that year had seven teams ranked in the top 25. Well, you had to take the two conference tournament winners from the other two regions. So only six teams from the GOVC got in that year. So there was a top 25 team that was left out of the NCAA tournament that year. So that's kind of how hard it is to even get in the NCAA tournament in D2 because it's not necessarily the best 64 teams because of the regional makeup. That's kind of wild. Coach, when you look at your roster and you look at the way that you guys have played, 22-2, and two, you got two guys averaging double – I mean, you're very balanced. Jesse Bingham leads you in scoring. But I have always felt that when, when teams have really solid seasons – a lot of times it's because there's somebody that the beginning of the year you didn't expect them to have the year they're having and they really rose to the occasion and improved themselves and gave you quality minutes that maybe you weren't anticipating in October. Who's that guy for you? It was kind of uh, probably three guys. You know, we are we are very deep, and I think you're exactly right. You know, the first guy is you know Bruno Williams, transfer from Lewis. You know, he was the he was the guy at Lewis, and he had to you know figure out how to come here and be one of the guys. And you know, he's just kind of gradually gotten better and better and better. And now he's playing like Bruno again. You know, and, and he figured out how to do it in our system. So his growth, and then two other guys, uh, Josiah Tynes. You know, I always knew Josiah had a chance to be a starter for us. He's always been our best on-ball defender. But what Josiah's done is he's uh, he, he's displayed a lot of, you know, guts, for lack of a better term. Like, he, late in game, he's always the one sticking a big three or taking a big shot or taking a big charge. Like, he's at his best in the biggest moments, and that's never been his role before. So that's been a pleasant surprise. And then our freshman, Sean Craig, you know, he's – uh, six, 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 seven freshman from Toledo, Ohio, lefty, and you know he comes off the bench. And when we recruited him, we recruited him uh, as more of a point forward. Well, he's really worked on his jump shot, and he's shooting over fifty percent from three as a freshman. And then when he comes in, you know, teams got to really respect it. And you know, he came off the bench Saturday and knocked in three threes in the last ten minutes of the game and helped us pull away. Coach, I want to go back to the tournament, and Adam, I know that you're you live in a one game mindset. But if you guys were to make it out of that regional, Evansville is where the final eight would play. Is that right? Yes, correct. You know, down in Evansville, and you know, um, hoping, you know, fingers crossed. You know, we have a lot of work still to do. Um, it's looking like Hillsdale or us will be the one of the two teams that host the the regional because the number one seed does host so nice we take care of if we take care of business you know and, and then you know in the regular season and in the conference tournament and then you know maybe don't, don't look too far ahead as you said but you know it'd be cool if we could you know play that whole thing in our home state it's a hell of a story on the south side drury tonight at seven thirty for the greyhounds and then senior day coming up on saturday at southwest baptist at three o'clock paul congrats man it's a hell of a run you guys have been on here over the last couple of months and we'll certainly have you back on come tournament time guys i appreciate your coverage and your support great talking to you as always